I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is Tony Craddock, Director General of the Payments Association, which recently held its 10th annual Pay360 event. Tony, if we can start with a helicopter view, what were the key themes of the event? Payments evolves at an incredible pace. So the things I'm going to highlight now are those that are pertinent now. They will be different even in six months' time. But we have driving the change, the adoption of digital financial services. We've got the changing nature of regulation. And we've got new technologies, particularly around blockchain distributed ledger technologies. And the bringing together of these three components is making us all think a great deal about the importance of fighting financial crime effectively, the importance of retaining and maintaining a degree of financial inclusion, the importance of promoting competition across the industry after Brexit, the value that exists in innovation and collaboration and how that's enabled. And we've had a a day with three different streams of activities one was about the future of payments, one was about consumers and their their future needs, and one was about digital currencies. And the interplay of all these different components, I think, made for, without, I think it's well, the, the best event we've ever done. And we get, got some fantastic feedback from, from our audiences who were generally very happy. We're also particularly happy to see each other, be able to shake hands, exchange COVID germs, but also to <laughs> exchange opportunities and, and, uh, and enjoy themselves. Well, you mentioned the first of those three pillars being the future of payments. Can we actually keep up with this? What is the hot topic at the moment? You said earlier on that what's hot now might not be in six months' time. So can we ever keep up? Interestingly enough, we believe that there is a need to have an overarching payment strategy for the industry. We don't think that there is a sufficiently robust one. We have multiple stakeholders from the FCA, the PSR, the Bank of England. We have government involved with considering the future of financial services and particularly money. So there's, there's a first of all, I think there's a need for an overarching strategy, and we're hoping to cook that up in the next 12 months or so. But secondly, um, I think that we can never hope to keep up. It's always a game trying to keep ahead of the fraudsters who are anticipating the future of how to create a a, a financial return on their investment in fraud and money laundering. But then we have good work being done, such as confirmation of payee by Pay UK and, and, and the security that that's adding to consumer transactions. So no, we'll never keep up, but that's part of the game. That's what makes this such an exciting industry. Our job is to help people to be ahead, think ahead, work ahead as far as they can, and keep uh, the wheels of innovation and the wheels of competition turning. I can't help saying this, but it sounds to me that to a certain extent, it's like we don't know where we're going, but we're getting there fast. (laughs) I love that. That's a great phrase. You know, I think if if you're passionate about promoting and protecting consumers, if you believe that innovation is a source of competitive advantage for companies, but also for the country, and if you're prepared to encourage competition, 
then if those three principles are brought to the, uh, the backdrop of any industry, then it will be successful. You know what? In the far future, we can see a time when consumers and businesses will not even consider seriously, unless they need to, the impact and the implications of paying for things. This is the the, the, the theme of embedded finance, finance becoming embedded in everything we do. The thought that we might be able to uh, enjoy micro payments. So f- depending upon how many miles we travel down a road determines how much we pay for our road usage. Being able to potentially subscribe for services per minute or per second rather than per month. This is a sort of future that we're going to be looking forward to. We can, the idea that we can have currencies that pertain specifically to individual cities or, or particular communities or particular industries. So money is evolving at such a pace. So it's good to see that there is a future down there. Quite how we get there, Robin, I'm not quite sure. And I don't think anybody can be quite sure. Nobody would have thought that 50.4% of people would have voted to leave the EU, but they did. We can we we are responding favorably to it and using that as a source of competitive advantage for our industry. There's a lot happening in both the retail and corporate space. Absolutely. It's fully integrating payments into the operational activities of a company. So whether it's invoicing, debt chasing, accounting, cash flow management. This is fully now being integrated into the operational activities of companies, whether they're manufacturing or uh, service organizations, so that it reduces the cost of reconciliation, it improves cash flow, it increases the data and therefore the insight that goes with the management of these businesses. And it's it's wonderful to see whether it's a, a dentist that you happen to be going to, whereby you know that as you leave the dental uh, surgery, you receive a text message, which you can click on to allow you to uh, go to a request to pay capability so that your settlement of your invoice takes place before you even left the building. This is a sort of convenience, uh, this sort of uh, accounting comfort uh, that actually is really enhancing the effectiveness of businesses. I'm a big believer that the upside for payments innovation, SMEs are going to be the people who will ultimately benefit most. You mentioned digital currencies. What's coming down the pipe there? What is fascinating is to see the evolution of thinking, not just the technology, but the thinking. The appreciation now, and um, our good friend David Birch is a wonderful exponent of explaining things as simply as possible. This idea that money, rather than it being something that's stuck in an account or in a pool, is represented by a token, which could be a, a note, but it could be a little digital token, that you can then track and trace and follow through the system. You can show, show and demonstrate its provenance. You can attach things to it. You can program money. Is just mind-blowingly exciting. And so that's where I think our industry is discovering now, is that it's discovering that programmable money using tokened, tokenized cash is a source of extraordinary new products and services that we don't even see yet. So what our industry is doing is looking at the capabilities that are needed to enable the innovation. People say, well, what's, what problem is this solving? And the House of Lords report highlighted that very issue. What problem is this solving? When the payments industry does work quite well now, but we don't know what we don't know. 
And we are the most entrepreneurial and innovative industry. So for me, the future is going to be shaped by building this core capability. And that's where stable coins and central bank digital currencies come in. You immediately got me thinking then of the introduction of the banknote for the first time. And if we go back a couple of hundred years, I, this is me navel gazing now. If we go yes. back a couple of hundred years, that's tokenization. Instead yep. of having to walk around with a sack of gold, I had a piece of paper that was a token representing yes. that sack of gold. That was probably as revolutionary back then as the idea of turning that note now that we all accept as money into a digital token. I completely agree. Remember, there was a smart contract on the note. It said, I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of £5. That was a contract. And that's exactly the same concept of tokenized money, or it's called digital currencies, whereby you can attach, you can attach a contract to the token so that, for example, and I, the wonderful case study I love is the one of um, bounce-back loans. £26 billion was spent on lending with bounce-back loans, and about £15 billion of that is never going to be recovered. It's never going to come back. But just imagine if we'd be able to tokenize the, that, those bounce-back loans and attach a smart contract to them so that if they hadn't been used within a period of time, or if they had gone outside the UK, or they'd been used on a certain sort of product or service, or hadn't been used on a certain sort of product or service, such as staff, then then that money would have been recoverable by the issuing entity. Now, on that basis, that £14.6 billion worth of losses would not have taken place. And most of that money has gone offshore. And so this is a lovely example of if we think creatively about digital currencies and programmable money, all sorts of exciting things are going to happen. And it's going to speed up efficiency. It's going to speed up management process. It's going to enable people to make more informed decisions. It'll also reduce fraud and it'll reduce money laundering. And of course, money laundering, the impact of that is much harder to see than fraud. With fraud, there's a victim, there's somebody who's lost something. With money laundering, this goes towards terrorist financing, it goes towards drug, dr- drugs um, and, and other criminal activities, all the sorts of things that we don't want to hear about, but that are happening because money is laundered. Uh, tax evasion is one other thing. So we can, we can track and trace the provenance of money that's issued using a blockchain type technology to allow us to see where it's going from and where it's going to. Just the possibilities are endless. There are also some big risks, so let's not forget, it's not all upside. So issues around privacy, issues around abuse of power. Who's to say that that money issued on a bounce-back loan can be recovered by a particular entity if they are, for example, part of the wrong political party. Would that be acceptable? Well, no, it wouldn't. So we've got to get these ethical considerations discussed actively and openly in our industry. That's one of the reasons the Payments Association is uh, pushing the government to support the adoption of a series of pilots that we're we're going to be um, enabling through Boston Consulting Group and a partnership with Pay With Glass to promote some pilots that uh, will test out some use cases for digital sterling, de-sterling as we're calling it. That's very exciting and uh, hopefully we'll give some great lessons to all sorts of authorities.
when will, if at all, D Sterling become available for use or something so, like it? So, so at the beginning, we're essentially running a sandbox. So there will be end user consumers, but it will be operating under the current regulatory framework. These tests take time. Within 18 months to two years, we should get a flow of lessons and insights learned from this that should allow the regulators, the Bank of England in particular, to see that there is a shortcut to getting a central bank digital currency issued by the central bank, which is essentially the stepping stone to having digital sterling. I'm with the the government's concern about this. I think we have to be cautious. But caution doesn't mean we have to stop. We have to take steady steps forward to learn. And that's how innovation happens. Thank you very much, Tony Craddock, Director General of the Payments Association.